the Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, we say good morning to Jason Agnew, News Talk 1010 personality, host of the Trivia Show. And like I say, Dowson is here, radio and commentator with CTV and CJD in Montreal. And we are also joined by the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown. All right, so let's actually start with this Toronto Police Service story this morning. And we have a superintendent who we've actually uh, been able to confirm makes anywhere north of about 170000 thousand dollars a year and has put all that in jeopardy because she was mentoring police officers who were angling for a promotion. She would take pictures of the exam they would have to write and send them to them. She was sitting on a panel that was doing interviews and she would tell them what questions they were going to be asked. And like I say, Dowson, um, is this career ending for this superintendent? Should it be? Uh, it's very bad. Uh, and it's basically a form of cronyism. Like she basically had her favorites. She was giving them cheat sheets and coaching them in order to help them move up in the ranks. So basically by anybody's rules, that's flat out cheating. And I think it needs to be curbed. And I think, unfortunately, this type of stuff goes on inside all kinds of systems you know places of employment public and private right there's a there's all kinds of quiet favoritism that gets practiced but in this case when it when it's with your <laughs> inside the police uh you know those guys have to maintain a standard like caesar's wife they have to be above criticism at all times we pay them a lot of money to uphold the law and here we have an example of total you know, disregard for the rules and favoritism, which we can't have. Jason Agnew, yesterday outside of the place where the hearing was being held, the superintendent's brother said she was just trying to help young black people get ahead, so she's not getting a fair shake. Should that count? Uh, I don't think so in this particular scenario, John. I mean, this felt like high school stuff where you come out of the exam and immediately you want to tell your friends what's on that exam because they don't have it till a little bit later in the day because they're in a different class. Um, it's just it's not a good look here. Cheating to get ahead, uh, no matter what the circumstance, not a good look. And this is someone that could be made an example of. Well, Patrick Brown, it's not like she couldn't have prepared them without cheating. I mean, she could have told them these are the types of questions that happen because those are natural questions and these are the types of questions that are going to turn up in the written exam yeah and you know what there's internal accountability mechanisms within police and so you know she'll have to face that um, accountability and uh, you know I, I would say in any profession you're going to find some bad apples but by and large you know I think most people in policing people that sign up knowing they're going to run towards danger uh, to keep our community safe and so in any organization, you're going to find bad apples. But I think by and large, um, you know, we've got uh, people in it for the right reasons. The Ford administration cutting ties with a former aide who now consults to the government. He will no, no longer do so. He was one of the people who was in Vegas and it did not stay in Vegas. Uh, Jason Agnew, we're up to two ministers, uh, two aides and now a consultant. You can cut everyone around you, but ultimately, um, eventually, that biggest cut's got to happen when there's no one left to be cut. All eyes are on you. Uh, although, Patrick Brown, <laughs> the premier, will argue, listen, I changed the policy. I said I was sorry. I said I was wrong. Can we keep moving, please? Yeah, I'd say in a parliamentary democracy, the accountability rests with the minister. But this is extraordinary that two ministers have stepped down 
in the scandal. That's probably more accountability than you see in most scandals. You know, most governments will just ignore scandals and move on and hope that the news channel changes. And so I don't think necessarily that staffers, you know, should be the target. target. I, I think accountability lies with the minister, and we've had two that fell under this. And like I say, Dawson. You know, I can't understand. So it's this is like the festival of cronyism and big bucks in Ontario. It's unbelievable to me watching it from Montreal, which has been known to get stuck in some of these kinds of quagmires in the past. I, I think Doug Ford should step down. I'm sorry. This has gotten completely out of control. This is eight. How many billions of taxpayers dollars deals well, actually, made it's in not Vegas at dollars. massages what, sorry it's not taxpayer dollars it was 8 billion that was created on paper by the government right. but rezoning. technically yeah yeah technically it was 8 billion dollars worth of land that was held in the interest of the public in the era of climate change when we need green zones like this i mean it just it's un- i just can't i don't know anyway and the, and then the sleaze factor is so high right like massages in vegas and guys schmoozing under towels on massage like come on really it's talk about a bad look for ontario that is really unbelievably bad jason agnew would you extend it that far that the premier has to take the hit well john there's that saying the fish rots from the head down Okay. Um, Nearly one third of Toronto office buildings are obsolete, according to a guy who owns a goodly number of them. Uh, Jason, his recommendation, if you were listening to the interview, but I'll recap, is that office buildings are not going to be occupied the way they were, so they're useless. They're not actually good to retrofit for residences. So tear them down and build apartments. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's a big one. But what we're seeing here is the change in technology has changed business. And this was kicked into overdrive by the pandemic. And now we have all these empty spaces. If they're not good to retrofit, it's crazy to think about this, but to knock them down and build up again. Maybe it's a time to look into that because I, you know, as we go more and more digital, I'm sitting here doing this from home. And there's so many other people that are now working from home as well. So we don't need these office spaces. So this is just something where real estate is now adapting to technology. Patrick Brown, fewer people are going to the office and those who do are going maybe three days a week, in which case they're doing what's called hoteling. People just share their workspace. So, you know, some of the major corporations that used to have 10 floors only need five. So maybe we maybe we're never going to get back to pre-COVID. So we got to rethink this. I think this is more of a unique Toronto problem um, and maybe some other major cities. But like I know in Brampton, we have a 1% vacancy rate with um, commercial office space. And so we don't have enough. Um, but I think Toronto was probably overrepresented in the downtown core with office space. And so it's interesting that there's been a bit of shift, not just with technology, but, you know, people want to work closer to home. And there's a lot of people who work in, who live in the 905 that are now working in the 905 as well. And so I think there's that lens to look at as well. Well, and and like I say, Dowson, maybe I don't know enough about construction and housing and office space and all that stuff. But I just I looked at this and I thought, oh, my God, we're going to be tearing down 20 story buildings and then building. And this is just never going to end. So when a major commercial landlord is, you know, crying, uh, you know, crying poor, I'm kind of like, you know, your profits are down by about 10 million per quarter from what I was able to read in the article that that, uh, inspired this story. Like I, the guy's still making lots of money. He's just saying that some of his buildings are, have fallen behind. Like they're, 
they're not as profitable and they need work. Well, okay, so that's what happens when you're a landlord. You know, you swallow it. This guy's making lots of dough. That's one question that I have for like, this seems to me, I'm having a hard time feeling sympathetic. I do feel sympathetic to those who can't find a place to live and want to live close to work. And so something should be done to evaluate the possibility of conversion in a serious way to condos and, uh, you know, accessible, hopefully some social housing to keep people in the downtown because it's become absurd now. People can't live anywhere in the urban area practically. It's just, it's, it's gone way too far. So something should be done to study that in a more serious way. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a big expert on real estate, but I, I just... I mean, I go to I go to Toronto now and I can't recognize it. it's all these glass towers and craziness. So something should be done. A proper assessment should be done by the province and maybe the feds to look at what should be done about converting to housing and using some of the tools of the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to make places available to people that aren't rolling in dough. The Premier of Saskatchewan is going to recall the House and uh, invoke the notwithstanding clause, not against the policy of the you know this business because it's still before the courts of uh, parents being informed if their kid comes out at school but he's going to invoke the clause over the injunction which seems a little bit uh, hasty patrick brown i mean the judge granted the injunction because he thought well you know maybe could be damaging to a kid so let's put this on hold until we know more yeah, I think the Saskatchewan government's could be on the wrong side of history. You know, when Bill Davis and Pierre Elliott Trudeau, you know, created the notwithstanding clause, I, I don't think it was ever envisioned to, you know, to, 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 to trample rights like this. And so I think it's disappointing. And I think people need to move on. And we're in 2023. And um, they shouldn't be catering to political opinion that they may support this because they're wrong. And like I say, Dowson, the thought experiment I've been trying on people this morning is if a girl whose parents make her wear a hijab takes it off at school, do you have to call the parents? And, you know, when you put it like that, a lot of people go, oh, wait a second, got to think about it. Yeah, totally. I agree with Patrick Brown on this. I, I think this is some kind of weird, appeasing, some angry, ultra-religious ultra base that I, I you know, I, I think that we're talking about one to two percent of kids who need protection. And some parents are not up to dealing with this kind of change in the in the social fabric. And I, I, I worry about their rights. They're a minority that need protection. They don't need to be. You know, I, anyway, I totally agree with Patrick Brown on this. Jason, I'm always sympathetic because I think most of the parents who say they want to know about their kids are good parents. And then when I go to the shelter system and I meet teenagers who were kicked out of their home when their parents found out they were gay, it kind of presses the problem. Yeah. Yeah, John, I don't, I don't, okay, I agree that parents who want to know about their kids are good parents, but I got to say, those walks a couple weeks ago, I was shocked with the amount of people that were out in the street in so many communities, and it was another angry mob uh, that was out for this. So in regards to what both of the other panelists have said, that is my opinion also. Yeah, and I like uh, whoever said on round one that uh, that kid who was jumping up and down on pride flags, if that kid turns out to be gay, that's not going to be the greatest parental relationship no uh, no yeah um are we sad that netflix uh dvds are no longer going to be mailed out i think we can live without this you're a good pop culture guy jason i mean everything has had its day blockbuster went out of business and now netflix is ending mailing cds to your home are we not shocked that this was still happening? Yeah, actually. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Well, wait a minute. I have my DVDs. I still watch them. 
Oh, <laughs> I'm a bit well, of an that's... anachronism, but there you go. Yeah. Get in there then, uh, because <laughs> you can get a whole bunch of them sent to you and you get to keep them from Netflix. Uh, this yeah. is very surprising to me, but sure, everything's had their day and uh, now DVDs will go the way. Maybe they'll go the way of vinyl where they get popular one day once again. Could be. Okay. A uh, doctor's prescription for the zoo. Patrick Brown, I get it. Going to the zoo and playing with the red pandas is good therapy, but I don't I, This sounds like a promotional scam. It, it, it must be, but, uh, you no, know, if, if, there's a, if there's a mental health uh, uh, aspect that, that helps with wellness and there's a physician that prescribes that, then you know, who are we to second guess the, those uh, um, who have the academics to uh, make that prescription? <laughs> exactly. In Quebec and uh, Montreal, they prescribe and, and make it possible to get free visits to museums and sometimes to plays on the same kind of basis. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't see the harm in it. It's a lot cheaper than, you know, other forms of treatment. Yeah, and I'll apologize to all of my good friends at the zoo because I love the Toronto Zoo. It's not a scam, but you get 50% off if you get a doctor's prescription, and I wonder how many people are going to call the doctor and say, I need a prescription. Thank you all. Good to have you today. Jason Agnew, and like I say, Dowson, and Patrick Brown. That's free for all round two for a Friday. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.